Before I get into the uh, uh, message, let me just uh, share a message with you from uh, some folks. This past week, I had the opportunity to speak at a, uh, a national conference for uh, pregnancy centers. It's put on annually by one of the two, uh, one of the two major pregnancy uh, center organizations. This one was CareNet. And uh, just want you to know they're very, very excited about our conference. It's coming up uh, next March. Uh, well, we'll have uh, folks coming to us from all over the country that are involved in uh, pregnancy center ministries. This will actually, I was checking, this will be the uh, 20th conference that we've put on here uh, at Edgewood. And I would encourage you to pray for that because uh, although you think way off in March, this is actually right now our busiest time in terms of preparation and uh, beginning to uh, work on that. Uh, I would especially appreciate uh, your prayers. There's a group called LAPCO. It stands for uh, Leadership Alliance of Pregnancy Center Organizations. Uh, this group brings together all the key leaders of the uh, national organizations, and we meet annually in uh, July. In the last few years, there's been grave concern over the increased hostility and attacks that we've seen coming against pregnancy center ministry throughout the country. So that, uh, that group has asked me uh, to produce a series of lessons uh, on that subject of uh, pregnancy centers coping with adversity, uh, persecution, conflict. Uh, how are we, we to respond to that? What is God trying to uh, teach us? And uh, we will actually be using our conference uh, to tape those lessons. There will be seven of them. These will be distributed to uh, pregnancy centers across the nation. And then there's also a plan to put this in published form as well as a tool for pregnancy centers. So please pray for the conference. Please play, pray for me as I uh, put that together. And hopefully will not only be used at our conference, but uh, in a much larger way to pregnancy centers across uh, the nation. Well, we continue our series today uh, telling uh, others uh, the good news. Uh, we had a break uh, last Sunday with the Lord's Supper and a report from our uh, youth ministry concerning their recent mission trip to Germany. And so uh, let me take just a, uh, about five minutes to briefly review what we have previously looked at. This is only the uh, uh, fourth message in this series, so just three previous messages. In that first message, uh, we looked at uh, Christ's invitation to show and tell the good news. And that invitation, of course, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, where Jesus said, what? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And, uh, and it was amazing to see in that just one short verse, uh, we discover God's plan, God's purpose, and God's promise to every single believer. What is God's plan for your life? Jesus said it in two words, follow me. And there's no simpler definition of a believer as one who follows Jesus. And we ask the question, well, what does it mean uh, to follow Jesus? Uh, if that is His plan, what is His plan? And we saw basically four things related to that point. We saw first that to follow Jesus is to trace my life after Jesus. Uh, Peter said, Jesus is your example. You must follow in His steps. And then second, we saw to follow Jesus means I must turn away 
from all other distractions. In the book of Hebrews, we read, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, talking about the Old Testament saints who under great adversity and persecution uh, followed Jesus, it says, having that witness, it says, like them, we're to lay aside every encumbrance uh, and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we're to trace our lives after Jesus, turn from all distractions, and then, of course, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to stay tuned in on Jesus. Uh, Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, I've got my eye on the goal. And that goal, of course, was Jesus Christ himself. He says, where God is beckoning us onward. I'm off and running. I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. And then we saw to follow Jesus is to treasure lost people. The way he treasured and valued lost people. And then we saw in that one verse, not only did we discover God's plan, but God's purpose. And what is God's purpose? To be a fisher of men. Follow me and I will make you to be fishers of men. And that's God's plan for every believer. He wants us to have an impact in this world to draw the lost to Him. And uh, related to that, uh, we saw that uh, to become a fisher of men is to live to catch non-Christians for Christ. Remember, uh, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, don't fear, because from now on, uh, you'll be catching men. And that's how God wants to use each and every one of us. And then we saw to become a fisher of men is to ask Jesus to give us His compassion for non-Christians. Matthew 9, and seeing the multitudes, it says, Jesus felt compassion on them. He was moved because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And we talked about the fact that we need to see beyond their fault to see their need. Uh, So often we get upset with uh, lost people and the culture in which we live. What would you expect in their sinful condition? And so it just reveals their need for Jesus. And instead of invoking anger, or frustration or irritability, it should produce brokenness in us, a tenderness for them, a compassion for them as we see their need for the Lord uh, Jesus uh, Christ. And then we saw to become a fisher of men is to intentionally, and that's a key word throughout this entire series, to intentionally uh, seek involvement with non-Christians. Contact leads to conversations, and conversations leads to Uh, conversions. Uh, And I love uh, uh, this verse uh, in Acts 20. This is the Apostle Paul. It sort of was the uh, verse uh, from which I developed this series. Paul said, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And then we saw to become a fisherman is to learn to bait my hook with my testimony. And we uh, talked about the fact that every person needs to know how to uh, very clearly ber- verbalize uh, your testimony, your conversion testimony, but of course not just your conversion testimony, but how's God working in your life right now and the difference that He is making. And God often uses your testimony Uh, Not just conversion testimony, but what he's presently doing in your life as a tool to draw the lost uh, to himself. So, that one verse 
showed us God's plan, followed Jesus, his purpose to make us a fisherman, and then what's his promise? He said, I love this, I will make you a fisherman. You can't do it. Apart from me, you can't do anything. I can only do this. It's me working in and, and through you. And then the concluding thought in that first message uh, was simply this. You know, really the devil does not care if your life gets filled with bad things or good things as long as you're distracted from the one thing that God left you here on earth to do, and that is to show and tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. And then in the second lesson, we looked at my responsibilities and God's responsibility in telling non-Christians the good news. And uh, the primary truth in that message was this. The Christian's responsibility, our responsibility, is to bring Christ through our lives to non-Christians through contact and conversation. It is God's responsibility to bring non-Christians to Christ through conviction and conversion. We can't convert the lost. Only God can do that. It's our job through our lives to bring Christ to them, but only God can bring them to the Lord Jesus through conviction and conversion. And then we, we looked at the three players in evangelism, the non-Christian, uh, God, and the believer. And, of course, the non-Christian is the one who we seek to tell the good news to. And we saw three things about them. They're spiritually dead, separated from the life of God, alienated from God. They're spiritually blind. They cannot see spiritual truth. And we saw that they're spiritually lost. And then we looked at God and His responsibility in this whole process of evangelism. And His primary role is, again, to bring those unbelievers to Him. And the Scripture tells us no one can come to the Father unless what? To Christ unless they're drawn by the Father. And we saw two ways that He does that. He does that first through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised, and when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world of sin of God's righteousness and the soon coming judgment. And then it's God's resp- and then God uses the inherent power of the gospel. Paul said I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed? Because it's the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes and faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. So uh, God's responsibility is to draw uh, non-Christians to himself uh, to give new life. We can't give new life. Only he can give new life. And then we saw that God desires all to be saved. It says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. And then we looked at us, the believer, and we saw that we are God's servant to proclaim the truth We are God's sower, to sow the seed as we move about and interact with uh, unbelievers, and we're God's witness. And a witness is simply one who just tells what? What he knows, what he's seen, what he's heard, what he's experienced. And that's what we're to share, uh, the difference that Jesus has made in our uh, lives. And then when we came to lesson three, the last lesson, very practical lesson entitled, What is the Good News and How to Tell Others About It? And uh, that was a rather lengthy message. Uh, I gave you a very extensive handout on that one. Uh, and I would just encourage you to go to the church website if you miss, miss that, edgewoodga.com. You can see all past messages. But in that 
message, I actually shared with you a method to share the good news with others. Remember, it was called the bad news, good news method. Uh, a very easy method to grasp, to understand, to learn, uh, and, and uh, that you would take that with your own personality, temperament, make it your own. And when God gives opportunities, that would be uh, your method to be able to share the plan of salvation and give them a specific opportunity to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, today we come to lesson four. And lesson four is building friendships with non-Christians. And I hope you picked up a copy of the sermon notes. And let's begin going through this together. And look at the introduction. The introduction. The Christian's responsibility is to bring Christ to non-Christians, as we already said. How? By being, here's that word again, intentional. The reason we don't share our faith is we are not intentional. We are not deliberate. We sort of fall asleep in this realm. But it's by being in intentional in making acquaintances and building friendships with non-Christians in order to show and tell them the good news. We are to follow Jesus who is known as the, what, friend of sinners. So it's obvious if God's plan for me is to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus, and if Jesus... One of his names was friend of sinner. That's where you, in other words, let's put it in very simple terms. If Jesus was visiting Columbus, where would you find him? You'd find him with sinners. That's where you would always find him. His enemies attacked him on this point. Why do you spend all your times with, with drunkards and tax collectors and prostitutes, uh, often the very scum of society? And Jesus said, hey, I didn't come for the righteous. I came to save sinners. And so if I'm going to be like Jesus, I need also to be very deliberate and intentional in making contact, building acquaintances and friendships with non-believers in order to have the opportunity to impact them uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, provides a beautiful pattern for effective relational evangelism. If you have your Bibles... Uh, turn to Philippians 2. Let's read these verses, and then we'll work through this passage from the perspective of using it as a pattern in relational evangelism, using Christ as our example. Philippians chapter 2, and you should be somewhat familiar with this. Uh, the last sermon series was excelling in our love for one another, and we were, went through all the one another passages in the New Testament, uh, and this was one of them. So uh, we did look at this uh, some months ago in that sermon series. But Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
So even as Jesus was intentional and deliberate in leaving heaven to relocate himself to be able to get connected with a lost humanity, you and I must have that same determination by God's grace to focus on reaching a lost world. Now, look at the very first point, and this is where it always begins. It's where any area of uh, Christian growth begins. The f- that, that first blank, we have to think different. We have to think different. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, what a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable act of spiritual service. Why? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So if we're going to be faithful in this area, we're going to have to begin to think different about what it means to be a Christian and to be the church. In other words, it's not so much about coming to the church as it is being the church by walking as Jesus walked to seek and save the lost. Now, I'm not minimizing the importance of coming to the church, of gathering together uh, for corporate study, for uh, corporate uh, worship. Uh, We desperately need one another, our fellowship to encourage one another. But all that fellowship, all that encouragement, all that teaching, all of that should result in us leaving the four walls of this church and penetrating our world for our Savior. Uh, Being light, uh, being being salt, and having loving, loving heart uh, towards towards the loss. And so our focus here is verses 3, 4, and 5, as you see there in your notes. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Circle four words, four key words in those verses. Circle the word humility. Many of you have heard me share this before, but it's important to reemphasize. Humility, the word regard, the word important, and the word look. Humility, regard, regard one another as more important, circle important, and do not merely look out. Circle that phrase, look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. In the Greek text, when it says humility of mind, that would literally be translated lowliness. Of mine. In other words, we're to see ourselves low as opposed to being what? High. In other words, it's never for the believer to get up on a pedestal sort of with a holier-than-thou attitude looking down on the lost. No, we're to approach the lost with great humility, with lowliness of mind regarding them what? More important than we are. And those two words regard an important, fascinating words in the Greek text. They were both military terms. We have a young man just graduated from boot camp. Family's here. We're glad to have you with us, and we appreciate your, your, your service. But both of these words were military terms. The little word regard, if you were to literally translate it, means to let lead or to let command. The word important would be your superior or your commander. So if we were to literally translate this verse from the Greek to the English, it would read something like this. Don't do anything out of selfishness. Don't do anything with the desire to 
put yourself up on a pedestal to get the applause of, of people? No. Instead, with loneliness of mind, you are to let lead in your thinking. Because this whole verse revolves around verse 5. Let this attitude be in you which was in Christ Jesus. So I'm to let lead in my thinking, in my attitudes as I relate to the lost, that they are my superior. And if they're my superior, I exist what? To love them and to serve them. And how do I love them and serve them? By bringing Christ to them. How do I serve them by becoming a complacent and apathetic this way and just letting them race headlong into hell? I don't know how we can ever claim that to be love. Love demands, if we really believe what this Scripture teaches, that all men have an eternal destiny that will be determined by Jesus Christ. Those who put their trust in Him will know eternal life. Those who reject Him will know eternal destruction in hell. Then love would motivate us to intervene in the lives of those that are racing towards hell to offer them the grace and the love and the truth of Jesus. Letting them know, hey, what he did for me, he can do for you. If he can do it for me, he can do it for anyone. And then that phrase, look out. Fascinating word in the Greek text, skopio. It's a word for which we get a scope on a gun. But it's a word that's very difficult to translate its full meaning into the English. It, it, it means, yes, to put your focus on something. And to put your focus on something to the point where you're totally oblivious of everything else, of all other distractions, and your one focus is this singular person or thing. But also in this word is the thought that I'm not only focused on this object, but I'm, why am I focused on this object? Because my goal in life is to apprehend it and make it my own. Now, Paul uses this word in chapter 3 concerning his relationship with Jesus. He says, my focus is on Jesus. My one goal in life is to apprehend him, is to become like him, to possess him as he's possessed me. But here, he's not talking about his relationship with Christ. He's talking about relating to other people. So, here's the application. Get this down in your notes. Humility of mind is to think like Jesus. And to think like Jesus is to make the primary goal of my life the salvation of the lost. That's why He's left me here on earth. Yes, it's to glorify Him. Yes, it's to become like Jesus. Yes, it's to... All of that is true. But I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to fellowship in eternity in heaven. The one thing I'm going to do on earth that I'll never have the opportunity to do in heaven is to win others to Jesus, is to make Christ known. And so he has left us here on earth to finish the mission he began. Christ was very clear on this. He got it started, and now he wants to use us as his instruments to finish it, to be his witnesses. Look at those uh, verses that uh, first indicate uh, why Jesus did come. And then uh, that we've been sent into the world the same way that he was sent. Look at John 12. He said, I did not come to judge the world, but to what? Save it. See, what I'm afraid of 
most of us spend most of our time and energy judging the world, criticizing the world. And we don't have a heart to see the world saved through the grace of God. Again, I can't bring conversion. Only God can bring that. But it is my responsibility to bring Christ to non-Christians through my life and through my witness. John 10.10, I came. Why did he come? That they might have life and might have it abundantly. Luke 5.32, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Mark 10.45, for even the Son of Man, Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. See, so many of us come to church and we want to be served. How is my needs being met? And praise God that, God that God will use the church to meet many of your needs and do a wonderful work in your life. But that's to equip you, to prepare you to serve others. And especially a lost world. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And then look at John 17.18. This relates to us now. Jesus, as thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And then back to Acts 20, our sort of our theme verse for this uh, sermon series. Paul, he captured it. He realized it. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So it all begins by thinking differently about what it means to be a Christian and to be the church. And it's not so much about coming to the church as being the church by walking as Christ walked to seek and save those that are lost. Look at the second truth. I have to free myself free myself to become involved with lost people. If this is going to become the priority of my life, the goal of my life, it's obvious that I have to make the time to do it, to make the investment. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, the very essence of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, selfishly clung on to. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. It's talking about the incarnation of Jesus. When this immortal, invisible, eternal God that we sang about earlier left heaven to come to the ghettos of this sin-cursed world because of his love for you and me and for a sinful humanity. To bring salvation. And to put this on very simple terms, if I have my arms filled with a bunch of things, what's got to happen if I'm going to get close to you and embrace you? I got to let it go. I got to free myself. Now I'm in a position to embrace you. Now I'm in a position to connect, to get involved with you. So here's the application. Let's keep this simple. Love is a deliberate, again, we're back to that thought of intentional, deliberate. Love is a deliberate decision to pour my life into the life of a lost person. Love is a deliberate decision. And keep in mind, it's a decision that's not based on my feelings or sentiment. Because we just saw a moment ago in verses 3, 4, and 5, that with lowliness of mind, I'm to let rule in my life what? That 
that others are my superior, that I'm there to serve them. Why do you think he used military terms to communicate the heart of servanthood and love? Because these military folks will tell you, if they're under a command, when the command gives orders, do you think the command gives a hoot to hear about their feelings and sentiments on that order? No, what, what does the command expect? Immediate obedience. And, what, and that's clearly what is being communicated here. He realizes his frail humanity, we're going to struggle emotionally with a lot. Of, well, you know, we struggle a lot with just ourselves right here, right, fellow believers. And we're going to struggle with unbelievers as well. And he said, but this doesn't rest on your feelings. It doesn't rest on your sentiment. It doesn't rest how irritating they may, may be or how difficult they may. It's a decision that you make, intentional, deliberate, to pour into their uh, lives. And then... Just some bullet points, just, uh, just to get you started thinking. This is not an exhaustive list. First, establish growing relationships. Learn people's names. Smile. Ask good questions and be a good listener. In other words, wherever you're out. I mean, you're in the grocery store, you're in the gym, you're in your neighborhood, you're at the school, you're in the workplace. Learn people's names. Engage people. Be aware that you're around people. And show them kindness. Show them courtesy. Show them respect. Demonstrate that you care about their lives by asking questions. Hey, where are you from? You know, how'd you get here? You know, they have a family. Tell me about your family. Other, I mean, just, just ask questions and just be a good listener. A good listener. And that'll go a long ways in making that connection to people. Uh, another way, extend an invitation to your home for a meal. By the way, the next message, uh, taking off of that point I just meant, the next message will be on having spiritual conversations with uh, non-Christians. And then how to use those spiritual conversations to make a bridge to specifically share the plan of salvation. So this will even get a little more practical and specific as we move forward. But extend an invitation to your home for a meal. Uh, Peter talks about showing hospitality. Hospi uh, hospitality. Thank you. Uh, hospitality. And uh, with cheerfulness, uh, opening up uh, your home. So, uh, you know, as you, uh, I, I was talking to Kathy just the other day. Uh, one of my best fishing ponds to, to make connections, share Christ, you've heard me mention this before, is, uh, is the gym that I go to. And I actually alluded to a man that uh, I had met, begun to build a relationship with him, a, a fireman. We were talking about uh, inviting him and his uh, girlfriend uh, to, our, to our home uh, for supper. We may overwhelm them with the uh, family and the grandkids, but... Uh, uh, you know, open up your home. Uh, take that opportunity to make that connection with them. Uh, cultivate common interests. That next one. Uh, discover what their interests are. And it's very possible that you have common interests, whether it be sports or it could be a, a number of different things. And then you can, that's something you can really uh, make connection with the men, maybe even actually get involved, you know, go golfing with them or get together and sew with them or whatever it might be. Uh, that you have that common interest in. And then make holidays count. Holidays provide an incredible opportunity. I mean, 
Maybe there's a military family whose spouse is deployed that you could uh, reach out to by just maybe providing a dessert, maybe again inviting them to your home. Uh, how about widows or widowers or shut-ins in, in your community? Just, just people need it. How about possibly having an a open house for those in your immediate neighborhood or, or, or block, uh, just inviting them over to, uh, to rub shoulders with them, to connect with them. All of this is just building bridges that will provide you the opportunity at a, at a more appropriate time to get involved with them in a, in, a, in a very detailed conversation. And then this is one of the most effective, this next point. Look for and reach out in love to people who are hurting. Again, workplace, school, neighborhood. Man, if somebody's hurting, don't ever miss that opportunity to show them love. If nothing more to say, hey, you know, I heard about the diagnosis. I heard about the loss that you suffered. Just want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. It can be more, but you always want to be sensitive, have your antennas out for those that are hurting or in adversity, to reach out to them, to make those uh, connections with them. And then often uh, in that adversity, there'll be an opportunity to share with them. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says you know, about God being the God of all comfort, who, who gives us mercy in our adversity. And why does he do that? So that we can give to others that same grace we experienced. So Often when they're in these times of adversity, you may be able to relate. It may not be the identical adversity, but just this relating to adversity, and, and you could share with them maybe something that God has taught. You know, I, I know this has got to be a, a rough time. And, you know, I went through a similar time a couple years, years back. It was very dark for me, very, very difficult. And, you know, I, I, I found solace by turning to God's Word or prayer or whatever it might be, Lord, and it, well, you just have an opportunity to share that testimony. Again, just planting those seeds. And that, that may just right there even open up to an opportunity to share the gospel. Again, we'll talk about that in the next uh, message, but be very aggressive. There. Be a giver of books. What a great tool. Uh, I, I know a guy that's a, a professor over at Auburn. He, t- he teaches uh, doctorate students, and he's a, one of the most dynamic Christians I've met. And this is what this guy does. I mean... I don't know where he gets the money to buy all these books, but he buys books, and he gives them to his students. And a lot of it will be on some very practical things. I mean, you, you, know, you may be a, a parent with a small children. You're going through that struggle, and you, you may have some non-Christian friends going through the same thing. And a, a book about parenting has been very helpful to you. Pass that on to them. And, and, and just, you know, just be a giver of books. And, again, not in a way to, you know, I'm you know, trying to uh, just stick this in your face and ramrod this into your life. But, but no, hit an area that you know that they would be interested in and it would be meaningful to them. And then finally, of course, be prepared to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, brings us, that takes us back to that last lesson, lesson three. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to really become committed at being deliberate and intentional in making relationships with non-Christians... And uh, beginning to uh, uh, share with them your testimony, how God's working, and looking for opportunities and open doors, well, then you need to be prepared to share the gospel. Because I am so convinced about this, that if we would just 
do this. God will open the doors. If we would just make the investment, get involved in their lives, be willing to be honest and transparent about our Christian faith. In other words, when topics come up, we share our perspective on this. It may be political, it may be culture. We just share our perspective, not in a haughty way, again, not in a in-your-face way, we just, and, and why we believe that way. And often those conversations are going to evolve, and you're going to have an opportunity. And when that opportunity comes, are you going to be ready? Will you know what to share in terms of providing them an opportunity to put their trust in Jesus? That's why I would encourage you to go back to Lesson 3 and, if, uh, and, and, and look at that, and I think you'd be very pleased uh, with that, and it's something you can grasp and learn in a, in a, in a very uh, short time. Look at that third and last point today. Connect with lost people in sustained and sacrificial relational ministry to win them to Christ. Connect with lost people and sustain and sacrificial, sacrificial relational ministry to win them to Christ. Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8, being made in the likeness of men, referring to Jesus, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus' love knew no limits. He demonstrated a love that bears all things, believes, hopes all things, endures all things, a love that would never fail in any individual. His love didn't win every individual. Matter of fact, it was the majority that forsook him. The way to uh, uh, eternal destruction that way is what broad, and many follow it. And the way to eternal life, is, Jesus said, is narrow, and few find it. But his love would never fail any individual. And that's why he went to the cross for every individual, where he desires all to be saved, because he loves, he loves. Uh, look at the application. Building relationships with lost people and earning their respect is the most effective way to gain a receptive hearing of the gospel. Building relationships with lost people and earning their respect is the most effective way to gain a receptive hearing of the gospel. That 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, what an incredible example of this. This is the example of the Apostle Paul when he went to the city of Thessalonica to make connection with non-Christians, to look to God to provide open doors to share the gospel. And, and let me read it for you. And listen to what this man says. And here's relational evangelism. And Paul practiced it. He said, but just as we have been approved by God, this is verse 4, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. But now listen to this, verse 5. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though, as apostles of Christ, we may have asserted our authority. But I love this. If, relational evangelism. But we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. That's the apostle Paul. But we proved ourselves to be gentle. Among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children. Why? 
listen now, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. Notice. See, that connection that he made provided an opportunity for him to demonstrate the authenticity of Christ in his life. That authenticity of Christ in his life provided credibility to the message that he came to share with them. And this is exactly what he's saying here. Your witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you. But as you know how we were exhorting, encouraging, and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Isn't that a precious passage? Paul said, I came to Thessalonica. I was gentle with you, like a nursing mother, tenderly caring for children. I was like a father with you, exhorting and encouraging, imploring you. I provided you a godly example. I gave you something worth following. And yes, because I loved you, I imparted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And praise God, as a result, this wonderful church was birthed. Now look at those three little bullet points, and then we're done. Um, First, embrace lost people with acceptance, which makes them feel secure with you. Embrace them with acceptance, which makes them feel secure with you. In other words, we need to stop being angry with lost people. We need to stop being disgusted. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not that we're condoning their, many of their sinful, beha- their sinful behaviors or their attitudes or, or destructive practices. But what I want to communicate by my body language, my voice tone, my demeanor is that I love you unconditionally. I love you just like you are, whether you change or not. And I want you to know there's nothing that you could ever do that would stop me from loving you. And then just trust God to give you the strength to demonstrate to them a love that will never fail them, the love that will continue to reach out to them. Uh, uh, you know, I, I can give you examples. Yeah, I, I can think of uh, uh, one girl that came through our ministry where we ministered to this girl for three, four years. She was so hard to the gospel. But after about four years, God penetrated her heart and brought her to a glorious salvation. And then the second bullet point, embrace lost people with appreciation, which makes them feel liked by you. In other words, when you do encounter non-Christians, when you make connection, when you get involved, look for, in other words, again, I'm back to the word deliberate and intentional. This is something we need to begin thinking about. Look for opportunities to verbally express appreciation, to look right into their eyes and, th- and thank them, appreciate them uh, for, for something. And because and that will go so far, it, it will have, go such a long way in impacting them. 
and drawing them to you and opening their hearts to you. And then third, embrace lost people with availability, which makes them important to you. Very simple. The important People that are important to you, you make yourselves available to them. And so if we're going to truly love people, lost people, if they're going to say that's a priority in our lives to reach them, we need to make ourselves available uh, to them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 22, Paul says, I've become all things to all men that I may by all means save some. Now, that has no thought of compromise in his Christian witness. It just means I was, I'm willing to connect and adapt in terms of what we're talking about, acceptance and appreciation and making myself available. And just put it in a very, very simple way, uh, in most cases, people have to be touched with tenderness before there's going to be an opening to see transformation by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's your life, the love, the tenderness you're touching them with that often God uses to open their hearts to a witness and to a hearing of the gospel. Father, uh, thank you for what we trust has been, I trust, uh, not just a challenging message, but a, a practical one. Uh, Lord, uh, including me, we do need to begin to change our thinking, uh, to become more deliberate and intentional in uh, looking to make connection with uh, non-Christians. I think all of us would admit as believers, it is so easy uh, just to sort of get behind the four walls of the church and our own Christian friends and Suddenly you wake up and you begin to think about it and take inventory and we realize we've lost total, all connection with a lost world. And so, Lord, uh, help us be intentional. Help us be deliberate. We acknowledge apart from you we can do nothing. We can only do this through your strength. We acknowledge we can't convert. Only you convert. Salvation belongs to God, not us. Uh, we're simply your instrument to take your truth in love uh, to a lost world, and then as we do, uh, to trust you to uh, use that. And so, Father, we uh, just surrender our lives to you. And so, Lord, uh, use us in this regard. Make us fishers of men, for it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. As the invitation is extended today, of course, this has been a message directed at believers and our responsibility uh, to tell others the good news by making connection with non-Christians and building friendships. And so I trust as the invitation is extended, uh, every single believer here, uh, I would encourage you not even to sing along. Just let the praise team sing. And you just use this time as an opportunity to pray, to just to reflect on your life and where are the fishing ponds that God has given you to fish in. See, I'm not asking you to go nowhere, do anything special. I'm just saying, Where's the fishing pond he's already provided for you? Whether it's work or your neighborhood or school or, like I said, your gymnasium. It could be a million different things. And, and, and then begin to reflect, okay, how can I be more intentional and deliberate? Uh, in learning names, smiling, beginning to ask questions just to make that connection, to become a friend, and then just trust God as I step out in faith and do that. And as I continue to invest, he'll open doors. 
And uh, we'll see how he does that in the next message uh, particularly. And then if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, great message for you to hear. Uh, That's why he came, because he loves you and he desires your salvation. And he died on that cross for the penalty of your sin and he rose again and he's alive. And salvation comes by putting your trust in Jesus alone, in his death, burial, and resurrection, and what it accomplished for you. And so our plea to you would be put your trust in Jesus. Uh, Turn from your sins, submit to him, embrace him, and know the wonderful salvation that he uh, came to offer you and provide for you. So please stand as the invitation is extended. I'll stand here at the front. Anyone has a decision of a public nature, profession or faith, desire to unite with the church.